Chapter Forty Eight of Marion, the Story of an Artist's Model, by Winifred Eaton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Chapter Forty Eight. Dear Marion, Mister Hirsch is going to put on the living pictures in Providence for two weeks and he says he would like to take the same girls that he had before and told me to tell you that he will pay twenty dollars a week also that he will take us to boston and some other places if we do well in providence why don't you come and see us tonight and bring along the fellow hattie said she saw you walking with on fourteenth street how are you anyway i'm leaving for providence tomorrow with love lil I had been thinking of Lil's letter all day, but I could not make up my mind how to answer it. The thought of making forty dollars in two weeks appealed to me very much, for we were not very busy now, and Mena expected to go west very soon. On account of my work with Mena, I had not done much posing in New York, but I intended to call on some artists and see about engagements when Mena should go. Forty dollars was a lot of money to me and it would take me many weeks to earn that much in posing. It did seem as if I simply could not refuse this chance. But my mind kept turning to Paul Bonat. I could think of nobody else but him. He had made my life worth while. I thought of all the happy times we had together. He did not have much money to spend on me, and he could not take me to expensive places like Reggie used to. But he lived as I did, and we enjoyed the same things things that Reggie would have called silly and cheap. We went to the exhibitions of the artists, long walks in the park, to the Metropolitan Museum, and, best of all, to the opera. That was the one thing Paul would be extravagant about, although our seats were in the top gallery of the family circle. I would be out of breath by the time I climbed up there, but I learned to appreciate and love the best only in music, just as Paul was teaching me to understand the best in all art. There I listened with mingled feelings and enjoyment to the operas of Wagner. His Tristan und Isolde rang in my ears for days, and by the time I heard Die Meistersinger, I was able thoroughly to enjoy what before had been unknown land to me. We Canadians had never gone much beyond a little of Mendelssohn, which the teachers of music seemed to consider the height of classical music, and the people were still singing the old sentimental songs, not the ragtime the Americans love, but the deadly sweet melodies that cloy and teach us nothing. Of course, no doubt, things have changed there now, but it was that way when I was a girl in Montreal. I did not want to leave New York even for two weeks. I had begun to love my life there. There was something fine in the comradeship with the boys in the old ramshackle studio building. I had been accepted as one of the crowd, and I knew it was Bonat's influence that made them all treat me as a sister. Fisher once said that a fellow would think twice before he said anything to me that wasn't the straight goods. And he added, Bonat's so darn big, you know. I had often cooked for all of the boys in the building. We would have what they called a spread in Bonatz or Fisher's studio, and they would all come flocking in and fall in greedily upon the good things I had cooked. 
i felt a motherly impulse toward them all and i wanted to care for and cook for yes and wash them too some of the artists in that building were pretty dirty paul had never spoken of love to me and i was afraid to analyze my feelings for him reggie's letters were still pouring in upon me and they still harped upon one thing my running away from him in boston he kept urging me to come home and lately he had even hinted that he was coming again to fetch me but he said he would not tell me when he would come in case i should run off again i used to sit reading reggie's letters with the queerest sort of feelings for as i read i would not see reggie in my mind at all but paul bonat it did seem as if all the things that reggie said that once would have pierced and hurt me cruelly had now lost their power i had even a tolerant sort of pity for reggie and wondered why he should trouble any longer to accuse me of this or that or even to write to me at all i am sure i should not have greatly cared if his letters had ceased to come and now as i turned over in my mind the question of leaving new york i thought not of reggie but of paul it is true i might only be away for the two weeks in providence on the other hand i realized that should we succeed there i would be foolish not to go on with the troop to boston i decided finally that i would go i went over especially to tell paul about it i said mr bonnot i'm going away from new york to do some more of that that living picture work I waited a moment to see what he would say. He had not turned around. And then I added, as I wanted to see if he really cared, maybe I won't come back at all. He stood up and took me by the shoulders, making me look straight at him. How long are you to be gone? He demanded, as if he had penetrated my ruse. Two weeks in Providence, I said but if we succeed we go on to boston and promise me you'll come back in two weeks promise me that he said he was looking straight down into my eyes and i think i would have promised him anything he asked me to so i said in a little weak voice i promise good he replied i would not let you go if it were in my power to stop you but i know you need the money and i have no right to deprive you of it oh good god it's hell not to be able to he broke off and gently took my hands up in his look here little mouse there's the chance of my being able to make a big pot of money i'll know in a few days time then you shall not have to worry about anything but as i am now fixed why i can't stop you from anything i haven't the right i wanted to tell him that he could stop me from going if he wanted to but he had not told me he cared for me and there was a possibility that i was mistaken about him he had that big gentle way with everyone and it might be that i had mistaken his kindly interest in me for something that he did not really feel so i laughed now lightly and i said oh i'll be back soon and if you like you can see me off on the train when we were in the grand central the following night I tried to appear cheerful, but I could not prevent the tears running down my face. And when finally he took my hand to say goodbye, I said, Oh, it's dreadful for me to say this, but if I don't see you soon again, I think I will die. 
he bent down when i said that and kissed me right on my lips and he did not seem to care whether everyone in the station saw us or not then i knew that he did love me and that knowledge sent me flying blindly down the platform after i was aboard i found that i had taken the wrong train to providence i should have taken an earlier or a later one lil was already there and was to have met me at the station from the earlier train but the train i had taken would not get in till four in the morning when i arrived in providence i did not know where to go i had lil's address but she had written me she was living at a very respectable house where the people would have been terribly shocked to know she was a model and i felt i could not go there at such an hour in the morning the rain was coming down in torrents a colored boy was carrying my bag and he asked me where i wanted to go indeed i did not know when i hesitated he said that the hotels didn't take ladies alone but that he knew of an all-night restaurant where i could get something hot to eat and i could stay there till morning so he took me over to mink's i had often eaten in mink's restaurant in boston and the place looked quite familiar to me i had a cup of hot coffee and a sandwich and then i asked the waitress if there was some place where i could go and freshen or clean up a bit she whispered to the man at the desk and he nodded and then she beckoned to me to follow her we went upstairs to a sort of loft it was bare save of packing cases but she showed me to a little cracked looking-glass where she said i could do my hair i told her i had been on the train all night and she said sympathetically sure you look it i went over to lil's boarding-house about seven in the morning she was right near Mink's and said I was foolish not to have come right over. Well, we played every night in the theater in Providence, and we made what theatrical people call a hit. The whole town turned out to see us. The girls were all as pleased as could be, and so was Mr. Hirsch, and they made all kinds of plans for the road tour. But I could think of nothing but New York, and I was so lonely in spite of the noisy company of the girls, that I used to go over and look at the railway tracks that I knew ran clear to New York. And I thought of Paul. I thought of Paul every single minute. The little maid would slip his letters every morning under my door, and I used to cry and laugh before I even opened them. And I held them to my lips and face, and I kept them all in the bosom of my dress right next to me. We had finished our engagement. Lil and I were coming out of the dressing room the last night when somebody slapped me on the back. I turned around and there was Mr. Davis. He was so glad to see me that he nearly wrung my hand off, and he insisted on walking home with us. He told me he was now manager of a theatrical company, and that he had been looking around for me ever since Lil told him I was in New York. Now, Marion, he said, you are going to begin where you left off in Montreal, and it's up to you to make good. You've got it in you, and I want to be the man to prove it. I asked him what he meant, and he said he was starting a new show in Boston that week, and that he had a part for me that would give me an opportunity. I said faintly, I was going back to New York tomorrow. Lil exclaimed, What are you talking about? Aren't you going along with Mr. Hirsch? 
"'Instead of going to New York,' said Mr. Davis, "'you come along with me to Boston. "'Cut out this living-picture stuff. "'It's not worthy of you. "'I always said there was the right stuff in you, Marion, "'and now I'm going to give you the chance to prove it.' "'For a moment an old vision came back to me. "'I saw myself as Camille, "'the part I had so loved when little more than a child in Montreal, "'and I felt again the sway of old ambitions.' I said to Mr. Davis, Oh, yes, I think I will go with you. But when I got back to my room, I took out Paul's last letter. How confident he was of my keeping my promise to return. He wrote of all the preparations he was making, and he said he had a stroke of luck, and that I should share it with him. We should have dinner at Mouquin's, and then we should see some show or the opera. Whatever we did, or wherever we went, we would be together. I got out my little writing-pad, and I wrote a letter hurriedly to Mr. Davis. Dear Mr. Davis, will you please excuse me, but I have to go to New York. I'll let you know later about acting. I sent the note to Mr. Davis by the little maid in the house, and he sent back a sheet with this laconic message upon it. Now or never... Give me till morning. Lil talked and talked and talked to me all night about it, and she seemed to think I was crazy not to grab this chance that had come to me. And, she said, any one of the other girls would have gone clean daft about it. She said I was a little fool and never knew when opportunity came in my way. Just look, she said, how you turned down that chance you had to be a showgirl and all of us other girls weren't even asked, and I'll bet our legs are as pretty as yours. It's just because you've got a sort of, of, well, I heard a man call it sex appeal about you, but you're foolish to throw away all your good chances, and by and by they won't come to you. You'll be fat and ugly. I said, Oh, Lil, stop it. I guess I know my business better than you do. "'Well, then, answer me this,' said Lil, sitting up in bed. "'Are you engaged to that fellow who sends you letters every day?' I could not answer her. "'Well, what about Reggie Bertie? "'For heaven's sakes, go to sleep,' I entreated her. And with a grunt of disgust, she at last turned over. Next morning, Paul's letter fully decided me. It said that he would be at the station to meet me. He was expecting me, and I must not, on any account, fail him. "'Lil, wake up! Wake up!' I cried, shaking her by the arm. "'I'm going to take the first train back to New York.' Lil answered sleepily, "'Marion, you always were crazy.' All of a sudden the room turned red on all sides of us, and I realized that it was on fire. The little stove had a pipe with an elbow in the wall and when I put a match to the kindling, the flames must have crept up to the thin wooden walls from the elbow, and in an instant the wall had ignited. I had on only a nightdress. I seized the quilt off the bed and threw it on the flames, but it seemed only to serve as fresh fuel. Lil was crouched back on the bed, petrified with terror, and literally unable to move. Desperately screaming, Fire! Fire! I seized the pitcher and flung it at the flames, and then somehow I grabbed hold of Lil by the hand 
and both shrieking, we ran out into the hall. Then I fainted. When I came to, the fire was out, and the landlady and her son and husband and Lil were all standing over me, laughing and crying. "'Well,' said the man, "'did you try to burn us out?' He turned to his wife and said, "'It's a good job I got that insurance, eh?' My clothes were not burned, but soaking wet, and so I missed my train, the train that Paul was going to meet. End of chapter 48 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista